back from uh, vacation here at the end of January. The first Sunday in February, on Sunday nights, we'll, we'll start a, a series through Philippians. That's the plan. And so if you want to read ahead, and I'm sure you've read it before, but if you, you want to read that and, and kind of get into that, you can. But before, tonight, before we really move into the new year and out of the Christmas season, it's, it's gone so fast, you know. Let's take one more time or, or one more chance here to focus on um, the early life of our Lord Jesus. Christmas time, again, it, it, it's just those the opportunity we have at that time of year to focus on uh, Him coming to us. I'd like to stay relatively near to the manger one more time, just with the early life of our, of our Lord. The New Testament, the authorized Word of God, um, shows us only one incident in the life of Jesus Christ between His birth, seven days later, of course, you have His circumcision, and then between there and the beginning of His public ministry. We only get one um, one moment, really, over a couple of days from the life of Jesus, um, and it's here in Luke chapter 2, which is what will be our, our passage tonight. Um, three times each year, According to the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 17, and Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, as many of you may know, um, all Jewish men were required by God's law to travel to Jerusalem uh, and appear before the Lord in the temple. Uh, again, there were three times each year they were required to do this. Um, when Jewish families would travel to Jerusalem for this feast, the Passover, the Passover is one of those three times. That's where we are in Luke 2. The Passover is by far the most uh, important, if you will, although I hope you know what I mean there, but, but is it the main uh, time to come to Jerusalem? Uh, and when they would do this, when they would travel to Jerusalem for this feast, they would often travel in large groups of entire families. They'd come together. Most of them were still in, if not all of them, still in the towns and places in which they had been born and raised. But they would also travel with a lot of close friends and neighbors also, uh, singing the, uh, along the way, stopping to picnic along the way, all these types of things was part of the culture. So rather than adding any more information to the birth narrative as uh, Matthew's gospel does, or the way Matthew goes about it, Luke chooses to focus instead uh, on this particular Passover when Jesus was 12 years old. It's probably right about 12 AD. He's right on the edge of entering his adolescence, which is a particularly formative time for any young man, for any young person, uh, regularly man or woman. Only this isn't just any young man we're talking about here, is it? Right? This is God in human flesh, the second person of the Trinity. This is one person in whom resides both a human and a divine nature. The divine nature. Well, what was he like at 12? What does that look like at roughly 12 years old? What would it have been like to raise him? Right? We, we know because, again, Jesus isn't like secretly inside saying, you guys know I'm not really 12 years old. I'm just pretending to be 12 years old. He's 12 years old, right? He's a young, young boy. Um, we know what kind of man he was in large part, but this is the only glimpse we have from his boyhood years. This, uh, think of Jesus, uh, any child you know that's 12, 11, 12, get the picture of that little boy in your mind. All right, and Carmine, I just saw waved at me from the balcony. So yes, he's around your age. So you listen tonight to this passage. So we learned some very important things here about Christology, the, the doctrine of Jesus, the communication of attributes uh, between the divine and human natures of Jesus. But we also learned some extremely practical and helpful things about what it means even for us to serve God while we are in this world. We find in Jesus the template, really, uh, for how we might interact with God and with others in our lives, even in, especially in, because it's where we live, the most normal and common things. Right? These, The children of God in this world are in the family business of living our whole lives in God's presence and for the sake of our neighbors in the roles we have been given in our lives. That God's desire to proclaim the gospel for salvation to all people everywhere might be accomplished. All right, so let me pray and we'll look at the passage here. Father, I ask that you would be with me tonight. Please help me speak clearly. 
concisely, God. Please watch over those who have come that they might hear. Let us all be careful how we hear your word. May we have the blessing, receive the blessing this night of the testimony of Jesus Christ to us. We ask and pray these things in his name and for his sake, in us. Amen. Verse 41 is where I'll pick up here in Luke chapter 2. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So Luke is letting us know that Mary and Joseph were religiously devout Jewish people. That, that's When we read that, that they went every year, then you know they don't slip up, they don't uh, punt. When, when it comes time to travel to Jerusalem, that's a priority, that's what they do. They sought to honor and obey the law and the formal requirements for worship that God had for his people. One interesting thing to note, remember now, as Joseph's wife, Mary technically isn't required by law to appear before the Lord in the temple. And yet, every year for at least these last, last 12 years, she's been with him. She goes with him. They were pious and religious Jews who followed the Lord. And that is the environment in which Jesus was raised. Right In God's providence, this would have had much to do with the kind of man Jesus became. In God's providence, that did not come about without an upbringing by two human parents and a human home and a human culture and town and environment and all these things. So the maturation of Jesus, did, Jesus didn't become the man that he was by magic. Right? It, that's not how it worked. The faith of Mary and Joseph helped shape the human being Jesus Christ grew up to be. The role of parents in the lives of their children is very much a part of the significance of this text and the topic for us tonight. Verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So, basically, there are 12 unaccounted for years in the early life of Jesus between circumcision and this moment while he's raised by Joseph and his mother. You can imagine the panic that was setting in when they realized after at least one full day has passed since leaving Jerusalem, Jesus isn't with them. If you're a parent, or if you know a parent, you have probably experienced this feeling at some point, that initial feeling of absolute panic and dread when you turn around and your kid is gone. They're not there. One time, Gianna or Carmine hid. You know, in department stores, they have those, you know, just racks of clothes and circles on hangers. We were in Tennessee visiting family years ago. They were both very little. And one of them hid because they thought it was funny inside those clothing racks in a store called Belk in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That is the most terrifying feeling. Where is my child? Right. So imagine this is your child and he's gone. He's missing. Joseph and Mary hadn't done anything wrong. Right. They uh, this wasn't bad parenting. You know, if, if anything, this was just an unintended consequence of the culture in which they lived. In these larger groups, the families would often split up and kids could get caught up with the others. But, you know, it's, it's going to shake out just fine. You just kind of intuitively know our kids in that big rabble of kids somewhere, right? Everything's fine. Or you finally get home and they're just there. But they did, right? They did go looking for him and they couldn't find him. He wasn't anywhere among the traveling company. So they did what any of us would probably do in verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it's very easy to find a child of 12 in a big city. Right? It's very easy to do. I imagine, given the nature of their lost cargo and who he was, that Joseph and Mary were also afraid for those reasons. Right? We've lost Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. We've lost him. They had a tremendous responsibility as earthly parents to raise and to protect Jesus. The next day, or the next verse, I'm sorry, tells us they searched the city for three days before finding him. Just imagine your child and that feeling of panic lasting and increasing for three 
full days. 72 hours and you do not know where your child is. Right? You, you start, I mean, I would assume most of us parents are, you start thinking the worst about two minutes into not being able to find them. You know, just something they've been taken, right? They, they've, something has happened. They've, they're lost. Whatever it is. Well, just imagine three days. And you're just panicked. I mean, did, did they sleep? Uh, probably not. I mean, not. I mean, you're searching day and night as each day that the, the panic, the fear is compounding. Where would the boy Jesus go? Did the thing, what would he finally get into now that he has the chance away from the watchful eye, ever watchful eye of his parents? Would he sow some wild oats here? Would he have his time and test himself out? Right. See what he could do when he was on his own. He's God. He's also 100% human. How do the two natures interact in a 12-year-old boy when he's finally given a real chance to do his own thing? Verse 46. Now, so it was after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Now, forgive me, I'm going to use my own son again. I love my boy, Carmine. We had yesterday, ladies were getting their, well, two of them were getting their hair done. And so after I had the memorial service in the morning for Jane Kidd, uh, it was a very nice time with her family and friends. Um, take them to the, they go to St. Clairsville to have this hair Concoction, whatever it is they're doing, I don't know. They have that done. And so Carmine and I went to the mall. We had the whole day together. Just in the mall. It was a blast. It was a riot. We, we, and then we had McDonald's. And we cleared out. Man, we cleared out a mess of McDonald's. They had an $8 bundle going. 20-piece nuggets and a basket of fries. My little boy, we walk into McDonald's. He says, Dad, do you think I could have a Big Mac and some nuggets? I'm like, yeah, we both will. Doggone it. Anyway, I wouldn't change anything about him. He'll be 12 in five months. I'm telling you right now, as good of a young man as I I think he's growing up to be, if he had three days to himself in Columbus or Pittsburgh, he isn't going to school. Right? He's not going to probably find a church to sit in and ask the preacher questions and then ask it and, and receive. No 12-year-old boy, right? Not because they're all evil or something, but they're all 12. The, I mean, that's little boys, that's not what they do. And, and so we could say, look at the story and say, well, of course that's what he did. It's Jesus. He's not normal. He is normal. He, if, if Jesus isn't Normal, the incarnation is not a miracle. Jesus isn't walking through life transparent almost so that you can't really see him. And every time you look at him, you're like, what is, who is that? What is that? No, he, look at this passage. He hadn't done this before. This wasn't uh, a normal part of what he did. So that the minute he went missing, they were like, they're like, well, since, you know, I received news from the angel that the Holy Spirit would, would cause me to conceive a child. Uh, Jesus is, now that we know all that, he's probably just at the temple asking Bible questions. Because he's not going to go play. It's Jesus, right? Beloved, that, this is very earthy. You have a little boy that just, without even really thinking about it probably, just said, I'm, I'm gonna stay behind and talk to the rabbis. We're here. And you have parents that are terrified because that's what you do. This is a very normal in that sense situation. Again, don't try not to get um, caught up under this kind of, well, yeah, anytime you're reading the story of Jesus. He is fully God. Yes, he's also at this moment a bona fide 12-year-old boy. And I, I don't know how that's possible. I just know it is what happened. Right? Christology, all that, the, you know, the communication of attributes, all these fancy things. How did he... Well, you know, how, how does Jesus not know the day when he'll return, right? Well, I, I don't know how to explain that really. We can talk about it and, and dig it out together, but the incarnation is, is, it's hard to understand. But all this that's happening is, is real as you see it on the page. 
They're terrified. We'll see in the moment that Jesus is utterly shocked that they're terrified. So it's, it's all very... The son of Mary, the foster child of Joseph, made the conscious decision to go to the temple to learn, and apparently in some way to teach also. One of the things this story does is illustrate the wisdom of Jesus. That's part of why Luke is including it here. And wisdom, we're talking about, uh, we're, we're carrying on from verse 40, really, in Luke. This is the wisdom which the Messiah, with which the Messiah of Israel had been endowed. He's starting to live like that's who he is. Look at verse, go back up real quick to verse 40 of chapter 2. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That is Messiah wisdom here. This is the wisdom that's linked to the life of the wise man in the Torah. That's coming out of this young man at, young boy at 12. That's why, that's why he's asking these rabbis questions. They're asking him. He's giving them answers and they're all, well, we'll, we'll see it here in a moment. But, What's also at issue here is what we read in verse 40 about Jesus. That this is something about His wisdom. His knowledge of the law with these rabbis. who those, The rabbis, again, uh, old, old covenant Israel rejected Jesus by and large. They, they, they hated Him to this day. They don't believe He was the Messiah. Um, it's, it's vexing. To, I, I, ben Shapiro, I love to listen to Ben Shapiro. He's very smart, very learned, uh, very. But he was talking with with uh, John MacArthur actually, uh, like a radio or a podcast interview, and to hear him say, "Yeah, I, I don't. Your New Testament is is uh, nonsense to me." He's like, "I do not believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises." And the the the, the um, kind of just I, arrogance isn't the right word. Just the lack of care that he's saying. That's blasphemy. Like to deny Jesus is the Messiah is blasphemy, and he just it just rolls right off his tongue. Rabbis and 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 like Ben Shapiro in that interview, it's not that they don't know the word; they know it. They know it. The the Hebrew Bible, right? I mean, they know it. These rabbis would have been very smart, uh, older men, and so Jesus here. Obviously, we know from the story, with this knowledge of the law that's sufficient enough for him to interact with them without them saying, what, where's your mom and dad? Right? <laughs> like, what are you doing here? You're like this big. What, shouldn't you be somewhere else other than here? They're, they're not. They're, they're engaging with him. He's engaging with them. So, at 12, Jesus is beginning to reveal that he is the Messiah indeed. That is happening here also, even though it's a very natural human moment. So um, so that they could teach more effectively or elicit more thinking maybe from their pupils, rabbis would often respond to people's questions with their own questions. That's kind of how they would teach. Somebody would ask a matter of the law, and they would say, well, and, and you see Jesus do that, right? Uh, Jesus, this question, then Jesus would say, what does the law say? How do you read it, right? And Rabbis were very good at this, very learned at this. And already at the age of 12, Jesus can do this also with them, right? Uh, he can engage with the greatest religious minds of his day as a young boy. His insight into the Word would have been amazing. But again, how did it get that way? How was he like that? Because he wasn't magic, right? He has... Um, emptied himself of something we read in Philippians chapter 2. So it's not just like, again, in his head, you guys really, like I know, pick a verse, I'll quote it for you. We're finding out here that apparently Jesus loved and drank and poured over the Hebrew Scriptures as a boy. He was 12. He truly was, as one commentary put it, the rabbi par excellence, even from his youth. And it, it just, it, it thrills my heart. It makes my heart burn when I think about young Jesus as this little boy, as a voracious student of God's Word. Just reading and learning it and knowing it and applying it and knowing how to argue it and think through it. He is God. The, the, beloved, the mystery of the incarnation is such an amazing thing. 
He's God, and yet, according to texts like verse 40, and later when we'll read in verse 52, he too had to learn the word as he was growing up to know how to use it in his life and ministry. And he did. Because at 12 years old, he hasn't yet been baptized. He hasn't yet fulfilled all righteousness. None of those things we read about in his at the beginning of his ministry, none of those things have happened yet. He hasn't been filled by the Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry. However, we're meant to understand Jesus without the Holy Spirit in his human nature. He, he hasn't received the Holy Spirit in his human nature yet. This moment that we're having here, this interaction with the rabbis, is all the result of the boy Jesus having clearly spent his early life with his face buried in the Word of God all the time when he wasn't working. Let the hearer, the hearers understand tonight this about Jesus. If, if, if Jesus did that, how can you and I not? And beloved, think on this for a minute. What was Jesus studying for? Why was it so important for him apparently to know the word and to want to learn more by asking the questions of these rabbis? We, we don't know, we don't get from this text that what he's doing is playing with them. We get from the text that the young man went and sat and listened and asked questions so that he could learn and answered questions that were being asked of him in such a way that these men are amazed by him. Well, what's he... Why? Why did he... Why does he want to learn so much? Why does he have so many questions? What's he getting ready for? What is so important that at 12, he apparently thought to himself, I'll wait here, they'll, they'll go home, I'll catch up with them later, I, I have some business to attend to here in Jerusalem. What's he studying for? Beloved, our salvation. Our salvation. He's getting ready for what will happen in about 18 years. When he's walking on the shore of the Jordan and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's making his mind and his body ready to accomplish the forgiveness of our sins and the performance of our righteousness. For three days, his mother and Joseph couldn't find him. Imagine the fear, imagine the growing agony. And remember that this is a nice, amazing moment because you have this interchange between rabbis and Jesus and but in about 18 years or so, the interactions won't be so nice, will they? Instead, he'll confront and go back and forth with men like this until they literally have him crucified. The stage is being set for the rest of Luke as a book, as a story, and the amazement and eventual complete inability of the religious leaders to respond to the wisdom of Jesus. Here... The conversation is going the way it is. The interaction is because he's still 12. Right? He's literally 12. So he's not who he's going to be from 30 to 33. So the conversation doesn't ha doesn't go the same way it does in the future. He's not the same person in the human sense that he will be then. So this is a genuine interaction here. Jesus was asking and will ask questions these men haven't heard before. He will see things in the text as he studied it that they didn't because they couldn't. Jesus will tell them later in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures, you study and pour over them because you think that in them you have life. You'll find the key to how to live your life in a way that God will accept you. That's why you study the scripture because you have this appetite to justify yourself. I'm telling you, these scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, that what we have is the Old Testament. Jesus says, they testify about me. Right? That, that's why you can't understand them. Because you reject me. If the words of Jesus aren't your method for interpreting the Old Testament, you won't be able to interpret it properly. doesn't mean you're stupid or a fool. Rabbis certainly were not. They're not today. Not in any way, shape, or form are they foolish or dumb. or That's not the problem. It's that 
to understand the Bible, you have to have Jesus as a magnifying glass that covers the whole page of every page of Scripture. And just these will not be, isn't it interesting that they couldn't find him for three days? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Three days where he's missing. This won't be the only three days in the life of Jesus when his absence tears hearts apart with fear and panic, even though everyone ought to know where he is. Right? Or, or, uh, in, in the sense of what's happening here, of course, not that they knew specifically that he was in the temple, but they shouldn't have been so scared if they would have. And again, that hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm not insulting Mary and Joseph's parenting. So I'm, I'm just responding to what we have in the passage. Right? Why didn't they think? Why did it take them three days to make their way to the temple to try to find him there? Which means they've lived a life together where Jesus has not been ethereal and mysterious. It didn't look, for three days they've looked in the places you think you would find any 12 year old child. After three days it occurs to them, do you think there's any chance he's there? Like maybe we'll go there. And verse 48, so when they saw him they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Again, if you've lost your kid, you've had this conversation where you lovingly grab them by the shoulders and shake them. Where were you? Why did you run away? Right? We've all done this. Now, focus on this exchange here between Mary and the boy Jesus. Because I wonder if this is maybe the first time Mary really began to feel the sword. That back in verse 35 of this chapter, Simeon prophesied would pierce her heart also about Jesus. This hurt Mary. It hurt her. She was scared. It seems like Jesus has disregarded her. So she's just a mom here. I know she's Mary, and Mary was an amazing young woman. Don't be afraid to think that or believe that. Here, she's a scared, angry mother. Everybody here is real, right? Why have you done this to us? She took it personally. You made a conscious decision to make me afraid is is what she's thinking, right? Your father and I have sought you anxiously. We've been terrified, young man, for three days. For one thing, they're shocked that this is where they found the boy, I think, in the temple. They were amazed, it said, in the beginning of verse 48, that he's here. Seemingly, then again, Jesus hadn't been the boy wonder all his life, walking around on a cloud all the time. He wasn't weird. Just another little boy. They were as shocked as anyone else that their son was with the rabbis in the temple. They were as shocked as anyone else that that's where he was. Because, why? Because he's been living a normal life with his parents. She scolds him. What were you thinking? Do you know how scared we were? You know, maybe, maybe I'm imagining here the interchange. This isn't in the verses, but I wonder, you know, do you think the person that gave you to us would be pleased if we lost you, young man? You know, you've had those conversations with your kids trying to scare Right, an apology into them, or at least I want you to realize what you've done. This isn't good. We've been searching everywhere for you, Jesus. What were you thinking? The apparent audacity, that's how they're reading it, that this audacity of this young man to just decide to wait behind and do this, it has them shook. It seems to them that Jesus has disobeyed them here, that he's done something wrong or unfair or unkind at least. Verse 49, and he said to them. So here's Jesus talking now, and he's 12. Why did you seek me? Really? (laughs) Why were you looking for me? Well, you know, because. (laughs) Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He's not sinning, so he's not being a smart aleck. He's not being disrespectful. Twelve-year-old Jesus is genuinely surprised 
that they are so scared and confused. Verse 50, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So, no, they did not know that he must be about his father's business. Or that, that you know, maybe they had forgotten for a moment because they were so afraid. But there's no link here to the fact that he came by way of the Holy Spirit into the womb of a virgin girl. There's, there's, there's no kind of, not that we can see any way that that special knowledge that she had is informing or shaping her attitude as just this boy's mom. Because Mary's literally his mom. Right? He was, he grew in her womb. That's her baby boy. Right? This is the firstborn son in this family. And there would be others. There probably are by this time. Even for the one, uh, again, the incarnation is not only hard to understand. How to, how does it, it's hard to swallow. It was hard to swallow. Even for the one who treasured so much about this little boy in her heart. This was beyond Mary's understanding. I know who you are. I know how you got here. Right? I remember the shepherds and those wise men showing up a couple years later. and all that. I remember all that. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. In the moment where we didn't know where you were, we were too... Uh, normal human beings who don't have enough information to make the right decisions or to have comfort when there's things we don't know. We're just Mary and Joseph. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. I must be about my father's business. Think, you hear that? Your father and I have sought you anxiously. I must be about my father's business. I think, I wonder if it hurt Joseph a little bit. I don't know. Like when he hears that, I'm, I'm your father. I'm sure he, I think. I mean, if, look, if you're providing for this little boy and you didn't put your, your betrothed away when you found out about this little boy, you don't think Joseph didn't have some sense of investment in the life of this little boy. Right? What do you mean you must be about my business? I, I don't do, I'm a, a, a craftsman of some kind, maybe a carpenter, right? I, Jesus is talking like he knows that it's, it's something else, right? Somebody forgot something there. I don't think it was Jesus. I mean, I doubt they had actually forgotten who this child was. I don't think it's that. But the passage of time had maybe numbed them to the obvious, as, as, as the positive time can do, so that their first response is absolute panic, rather than taking into account, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. but I'm saying, instead of the response being first, it is, you know, Jesus. <laughs> the, the, the first response is, you know, what any parent's response would be. Joseph is not his father, Right? So it might have been troubling for him to hear this, to hear Jesus speak this way, because Jesus isn't talking about the family business of carpentry or craftsmanship here. He's talking about his father's business, God's business. Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of Almighty God the Father. And I think Luke may have included this scene in his telling of the Gospel to give us, as the reader, the primary frame of reference for how we uh, should understand the ministry of this Jesus, what he's going to be like for him in the world. How will he be connected to the Father from which he was sent? This is God's Son doing the Father's work even now. The little boy isn't making, like, trying to say something to fluff it up so that he gets out of trouble. What Jesus was doing in the temple was divinely ordained by God to take place. Jesus is realizing at 12, I need to be in the temple. Right? I know mom and dad, you know, in the earthly sense, right? I, I know my parents might get scared, but, but I, I'm here for a deeper calling. I, I'm gonna have, I need to go to the temple. I need to talk to the rabbis. Jesus 
This is God's Son doing the Father's work in every single aspect of His life, even in the mundane and unremarkable moments of every day. It's just a conversation with the rabbis for a couple days, and it's the Father's business. It's God's design for Him. Luke is very careful, by the way, throughout his gospel, for what it's worth, to remind us often that this child's father is God. Luke writes with a lot of that. Verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. So little Mary full of grace indeed, I guess. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. There's a whole other sermon to do here if we wanted to on a doctrine of Christology, right? Of what we believe, what the Bible teaches us about Jesus Christ. I won't focus there tonight, but I will. How did Jesus increase in favor with God? Right? Because the incarnation was real and literal and legitimate. He, he increases in God's approval of him as a human being his entire life. Right? That literally is what happened. Well, how? He's God. It, I don't know. But that's what happened. Right? It's usually best to stop with trying to figure out the incarnation right there. Okay, that happened. I have to, that's what I have to believe happened. I don't know how, but he increased in wisdom and in favor with God. Certainly that's only according to his human nature, right? But I, I don't, I don't know how, I just know he did. So even though they'd scolded him because they misunderstood his true calling, his true task as the Son of the Father, Jesus still responded obediently to them. Wow! Right? Never let any child forget, no matter how old we all become, that Jesus himself respected his mother even when technically she was in the wrong. Right? Learn that lesson well, beloved. As I'm talking to people that are older than me, like, you don't know that. I, I, I guess I didn't. I'm simply saying for the youngest in this room tonight, right? And you, have your, you still have your mom in your life. Don't take that for granted. And don't disrespect your mom. All right? Even when she's wrong, do not disrespect your mom. Why? Because Jesus didn't. And he was right. And he was Jesus. And he respected this woman. Jesus obeyed the divine law of God and submitted to his earthly parents because that was what the law said for him to do. And then 18 years passed between verses 51 and 52 in chapter 3 verse 1. And this Jesus will never stop being about his father's business. In fact, did you know that he's here tonight doing his father's business in this living word. He's doing his father's business when he speaks to us through that word and through it brings us to the father. He did his father's business, the business of heaven, the business of eternal redemption and the kingdom of God by just living his life as a human being and being respectful to his mom and his foster father, if you will. He's working for our righteousness. Do you realize this? He's performing the righteousness we need to be acceptable before God at 12 years old by obeying his mother and father, which is what every child is called to do. He... We often don't. And the younger we are, the worse it is. 12 to like 18 is not a fun time for your kids learning to listen to you and delight in your loving authority over them. Not great. It doesn't really happen like a nice storybook. Why? But if I don't see my boyfriends and I, I won't see them for six weeks because we're going out again. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. Okay? I don't, I I do care. I didn't mean it. You know what I'm saying. Right. If I don't see him tonight, I won't see him for a month. Um, that's how all my daughters sound, just so you know. They all talk like that. 
<laughs> That'd be so mad. I'm just, I'm teasing. Right, but he's working for our righteousness here too, beloved. Those who are uh, so often disobedient or disrespectful to our parents. So he's obeying his parents. He's respecting his parents. And in Jesus, you find that answer. Well, what do I do when my parents aren't right? Well, you, you, you obey and submit and respect your parents. Now, if they're saying, if they're telling you you need to sin, which imagine that, I mean, it's such a weird thing to even think of. It's not really the point. The, the point is, is that unless there, I mean, unless there would be some clear, like, we are going to worship Baal in this house. You could say, well, I, I think we should worship God. And, and that, that then you could say, okay, but like, you, you, even that, you couldn't do it disrespectfully. You couldn't dishonor them in your refusal to worship another God. The growth of Jesus was normal both physically and mentally. And at 12 years old, he's obeying and respecting and submitting himself to his parents perfectly for you and me. Right? He's, he's got all the sin of the world that's going to be laid on him. And part of the sin of the world is that we rarely give our parents the respect of which they're worthy and the honor with which they're worthy. And it starts out very young. Very young. But Jesus' state of humiliation in human flesh was so perfect that not only His body was subject to the general rule of nature, but also His mind. And lest you would think, maybe, that that this is a, a preacher's way to kind of sneak in the back door and be actually preaching to his kids because they're not obeying him or something. My daughters aren't here tonight. Okay, so I'm not, this isn't about that. It, it's, at least I don't, I don't think. Uh, of course, yeah, no, no. So, now, uh, I'm about to close. Don't, don't worry. Here's what may be there in this text tonight for us, I think, in this talk about the family business. Why did I title that way? Jesus submitting to his parents here. That's not him deviating from his father's business. It's not. It's not that, okay, all right, mom and dad, for the next 18 years, I won't be about my father's business. I'll wait. No. Submitting to them is the father's business. It's a part of it. As much as anything else about the life of Jesus, because the law requires us to do that. It requires us to obey and submit to our parents. So by Jesus subjecting himself to them for the next 18 years, as he had for the first 12, is the Father's business also. Just as much and just as important as it was for him to be in the temple for those three days, talking to those rabbis. If the priority of Jesus is that I must be about the Father's business, and God's authority over him is his priority and his calling, then he's not going to, to not do that for the next 18 years, right? He He's saying, I'm not gonna, I, I must be about my father's business, but I'll stop doing it. It's, he's gonna continue to be about his father's business, respecting and serving others, especially honoring our parents, is being about the father's business. That is also his will for his creation, beloved. Did you know that each and every one of us tonight in our vocations, and everybody has a vocation, whether you're retired or not, Right? What is my vocation if I'm retired? You're a retiree now. Right? That's how you now serve the Lord, as one who is retired. That's your vocation. That's your calling. That's the season in which you're in in life. Every single one of us in our God-given vocations, again, whether it's as a retiree, a mom, a dad, a minor, a, a waiter, a retail clerk, accountant, you know, Software engineer, computer, that's your vocation. So in our vocations as parents, as children, as citizens, neighbors, employees, we can literally be doing the business of God for creation within those very roles just by being there and doing them. Right? Please do not think that I do the Lord's work and you do secular work. No. This is how I, this is my vocation. Your vocation is whatever you are doing. That's where God has you. 
within those very roles is the place where we do the family business of serving God. Yeah, you, you don't have to move anywhere across the ocean to serve God. Again, you can. God bless you if you decide to do that. And our church will get behind you and support you and help you every step along the way. God bless you if your vocation is to be a missionary. But if your vocation is to wake up tomorrow morning and make cereal and change diapers or go down into the mine, you are no less the servant of God with a calling to honor Him in those things. Right? It's, it's, it's no less. It's no different. Now, of course, there are different ways in which our vocations affect and help others. But before God, Coram Deo, right? It's all His business. Where else would we be about the Father's business, right? But in the ebb and flow of everyday life and the places God sets us. Farmers in their fields, right? Moms in their morning work. Dads in the office or the mine. People going to work. Taking their kids to practices. On and on and on it goes. That's where you're doing the Father's business. He created a world to be fruitful and multiply and for us to use our hands to bless the creation and see the creation increase in beauty and people increase. That comes about through work, through normal life, through obeying the commands of God so that things stay peaceful and honorable and beautiful. Even though Jesus had just given His parents evidence that He had a much greater and higher calling than submitting to them, He went with them, and He remained obedient to them every day of His life. In fact, don't skip over how earthly and beautiful Jesus dying on the cross saying, Take care of my mom. Right? That's beautiful. Because that's earthy. He's dying. He's the oldest. Joseph, we can presume from a text like that, is dead and gone now. And as he's bleeding out and suffocating to death, John, from the cross, nails in him, hanging, look after my mom. Right? You're seeing that the, all this come to fruition. He wasn't disrespectful to his parents. He wasn't, he, he didn't look at serving them as some like lower station. Yes, he had to be in the temple. Those days, right? He had to be. This was the Father's business. He had to learn the Word. But Jesus was busy doing the Father's business for you and I. Not falling short in any way. So I'm going to be in the temple when I need to be in the temple. I'm also going to listen to my mom and dad when they say, we're going back home. Don't do that to us again, right? Okay, let's go home, right? Father's business includes every aspect of life, our vocations, the roles He's given to us in which we serve Him. You serve Him in the normal ebb and flow of everyday life. Right? Respectful children, they're doing the Father's business. Respectful children are doing the Father's business. Loving, concerned, dedicated, present parents, they're doing the Father's business. You're a saint. Do you realize this? Not as the means of our salvation or to accomplish it ourselves, but because we already are His children. So we're in the family business. What does that mean? We serve God in everything. In everything. We make Him the first and the priority in everything as our Redeemer and Savior. Because the Father's business is ultimately the salvation of sinners. And so God sends a man into time and space to live for 33 years to not only accomplish all that, but to show what it was that a human is meant to be. So we don't have to wait for a giant jumbotron to be, and the technology to advance enough for us to let the world know. You just live where you are doing the family business. Because The guy or the lady you work with, wherever you work, whatever you do, that doesn't know Jesus, you're there for them. You're called to them in the same way that one might be called to Indonesia or Romania. Or they're as important to the Father as anyone else in this world. Right? You're not called to love your uh, South African neighbor more than your Glendale neighbor. 
right? And, and I'm not playing down the importance of the foreign neighbor. I don't. I'm saying like you don't have any less responsibility to the person that lives beside you because they're not far away. And don't romanticize going to Indonesia or something. That would not be easy and fun. But this is how we're good stewards and servants of God in this world. We we just show up on time for work. Be a good employee. Put in your work, clock out, and go home. And love your family. That's the Father's business. As much as preaching the Word is the Father's business. Take heart in that. So let our thankfulness for a meaningful life go to Christ in these things. Let the credit for all our righteousness go to Jesus for being all about the Father's business for us. Jesus learned the Word because He knew that was crucial to accomplishing the family business. All right. God works His wonders in the common among the dust of the earth. Go back to the beginning of time. God works through wood and a boat. Go for wood. Go for wood. And pitch and bitumen. In a bush. In a donkey. In the flesh of Jesus. In mere words on a page. In water. In bread. In wine. Which lets you know that this God is never very far from us. And who He is for us. He can make the rocks cry out. He can make donkeys talk. He can go with you in the morning to clock in at Duncan and do a good job for seven hours and clock in in the factory and, or just get up as a retiree maybe thinking that you have no purpose and nothing left really to do. Sure you do. Love the people in front of you. Love them and serve them. That's your vocation now. In Him is life, beloved. Receive Christ.